toward you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. And also for your words, because as you can see by our scripture reading, (laughs) you're right on the mark. So, so we're going still, well, at least when I'm preaching, we're going through the book of Galatians. And I started going through this book with young adults, and we're going to embark on that uh, series in young adults as well, so I thought if I'm going to do it with the church. I'll do it with them as well. Um, I was privileged to be invited to Sion Church, the Vietnamese church not far from here. And with their youth, I started them on Galatians as well. Um, It's not because it was easy for me to do, but because I think the message of this book and this letter is just so important for Christians to understand. And not just Christians. It speaks so heavily of who we are before God, and it speaks so heavily about who Jesus is and how we live as Christians. And so I would really encourage you not just to leave Galatians here at the pulpit or behind these doors when you leave, but to really go home and read it uh, it yourselves. Uh, The young adults and I, we read it, the last one. It took, we read it together, the entire letter, It took about 25 minutes. It wasn't that long. So I strongly encourage you to read it and dissect it because you will will see a blessing in your lives um, by doing so. As Revelation says, um, you know, those who read this will be blessed. And that goes for me, for all of Scripture, not just the book of Revelation. 
I'm just going to pray one more time before we really delve into the word. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that you're here amongst us. There's not many of us here, Lord, but I'm confident that that is of no concern to you, that you care for those who are here and you care for those who are not here. And I pray, Lord God, that those who are here and who hear this message leave here, Lord, and like yeast going through dough, that it spreads throughout their lives in all facets of their lives, Lord. We thank you for the one true gospel that we have through you. We thank you for the truth that we have through you. And I just pray, Lord God, that we leave here encouraged and being filled with the truth. We thank you for all that you do for us and the grace that you've given us, Lord. In your precious son's name we pray. Amen. So in my last sermon, we, we did an introduction to this, to this letter. Um, and although I don't want to advertise my sermons to listen to, but if you want a more thorough introduction, go back and listen to it. Um, but for this morning, the, the recap is, we, we know that Paul wrote this letter because, quite frankly, he says he wrote it. Um, when Paul wrote Galatians, or when Paul was with the Galatians, he, he shared the gospel with them. And then he left, because his mission was not just to them, it was to uh, the, the whole Gentile world. And then after he left, we had some Jewish missionaries who came. And they came teaching, yes, follow Jesus, but to truly be accepted by God, you must live by the Torah as well. Essentially, what these missionaries were doing were reducing the power of the cross and reducing what God accomplished on that cross for all humanity to simple works. Now, although Paul's words appear harsh, I believe the letter is written completely out of love because he does not want anyone to be deceived because he's seen what the power of the gospel did in him, as we will see in this sermon, what it did to him and what our scripture reading said. But he knows what the ultimate truth is. And anything outside of this gospel is not, in fact, the gospel. As we see in the reading this morning, that Paul puts heavy emphasis on the gospel. And we will begin to look at what the gospel is before we look at the scripture reading this morning. Now, one has to ask, what is the gospel? Uh, it's clear that Paul keeps referring to it, and it's also clear that he's saying there is a true gospel and that there is a false gospel. Now, in our society, it's, it's very controversial to say that something is completely true or that something is completely false. Uh, our 21st century thinking says there's no ultimate truth. Uh, which, at least to me, it's quite hypocritical because saying there's no ultimate truth simply is a truth statement in itself. You're claiming the truth that there is no ultimate truth. Uh, so have fun with that one. Um, but the Bible claims to have ultimate truth. And that is the gospel. Now, I recognize that in the time we have this morning... I'm not going to cover everything about the gospel. 
You might come to me in the end and go, T-boy, you didn't say this, that, and that. And my response will be, I know. <laughs> the beautiful thing is that throughout this series on Galatians, we will see the gospel unravel itself to us. And speaking about the gospel is not about one sermon. It's about constantly hearing it and constantly seeing it alive in us. Understanding the gospel is paramount to being a Christian. It defines the Christian faith. As we will see through Galatians, anything outside the true gospel is not a gospel at all. No matter how much we want it to be the real gospel, it'll always be an illusion of the gospel. Now, Galatians calls us back to the true gospel if we have strayed. A lot of scholars and teachers have given definitions and they're all similar in many ways. Um, but I want to I warn us that the gospel is not simply a definition, but is the key to life. And it's found in all of Scripture, not just the New Testament. When we see Paul talking or referencing Scripture, he's not referencing the New Testament, he's referencing the Old Testament, because the gospel is alive in the Old Testament as well as the New. Now, there's a lot of Scriptures around the gospel, but I've chosen Romans 1, 2-4, quick to look at. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And he goes on in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. So is your faith. As we can see in these, three, in these few verses, the gospel is centered around Christ and what God does. Now, my mum sent me this photo from uh, Jerusalem at the tomb of Jesus. And, and this is the plaque that's there. And out of all the photos she sent me, this is my favourite photo. Do not be afraid. You come seeking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, but he is not here, for he is risen. I thought, wow, it, it blew my mind. <laughs> um, when people are asked, what if we could definitively prove that Jesus is here, like we found his body, and, and if someone says, well, I still believe because I believe it in my heart, but Paul says, if, if Jesus did not raise from the dead, your faith is useless. That is how central this is to what we believe. Now, I'll give you a, a preliminary uh, uh, definition of the gospel. So, and this is by a guy named Dr. Mark Cortez. So he says, the gospel, the good news, is what God, through Jesus, accomplished all that is ultimately necessary to bring about his glorious plan to, the, to manifest his glory in and amongst his people throughout his good creation, that through faith and grace of God, we can participate in that glorious plan as we are brought to the Father in the Son through the power of the Spirit. Gospel is Christ-centered. 
as Jesus is the promised Messiah. When looking at his name, simply Yeshua, meaning literally deliverer and rescuer. Looking at the meaning of Christ in itself, the anointed one. In the Old Testament, meaning this was only reserved for kings and the high priests. It's in his name alone who he is. But yeah, we've got so much more. Jesus is the deliverer and the true and anointed king and the true high priest who died the ultimate and final death to atone for our sin. That appeases the wrath of God towards humanity. When we're talking about the gospel, God is the central character in the gospel because it is what he alone does to restore humanity to him through Christ and we can add nothing to this. So the word gospel literally meaning the good news. Now the good news is that we cannot achieve the pardon required for our sins. But God provides the pardon. I know that sounds strange to say the good news is that we can't achieve it. But hopefully this will make sense later on. We know God is holy meaning that he is set apart from us by his very nature. And what has distanced us from him? Sin. Romans 3.23, quite famous. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, sin is not just an annoyance to God. He simply can't just look away and pretend that this just doesn't exist. His holy nature requires us to be holy, to be in his presence. Here's a golden question. How do I become holy? Simple answer is, you can't do anything. What? Imagine trying to remove a muddy stain from a white t-shirt with muddy hands. Can't be done. No matter how much we try of our own volition to become the best and moral ethical person we want to be, the result will always be the same. We're going to fall short. However, how can someone become holy? And can someone become holy? The Bible says yes. Hebrews 13, 12. And so, don't have it, sorry. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make people holy through his own blood. God provides us with holiness through Christ to achieve the holiness that God requires to be before him. He provides us with the clean hands to achieve real cleanliness to God's standards. God takes on himself the sin through Jesus to satisfy his wrath. And Jesus is the only holy one And those who confess in Jesus Christ as their saviour are holy before God. And this totally flips upside down any thought that our actions outside of the gospel can in any way draw us closer to God. If we think our good actions, good behaviours, morality, ethics makes you acceptable to God, I bring you good news. No matter how much you try, No matter how good you think you're doing, it's not what God ultimately requires. Suppose I 
Suppose I yell at my wife. Good possibility there's going to be a gap between us. There's going to be alienation between us. And if a couple of hours my wife comes to me and says, I forgive you and I forgive your behavior, that's good news. But what if I change the story a bit? What if I go and yell at my wife this time, but my yelling is a result of drinking and I have a problem with alcohol? I have an addiction to a substance, and when I take this substance, it leads to yelling. Now, if my wife tells me she forgives me for yelling at her, it's still good news. And she is being gracious, but it doesn't fix the problem. I'm still trapped in this bondage and stuck in my addiction. I'm still broken. Forgiveness still leaves me broken, and forgiveness is inadequate. You see, the root issue that needs to be sorted out for my actions and my life to change is what the gospel requires or gives to us. The gospel addresses the root issue beyond addiction, beyond forgiveness. It addresses what God wants to address. It is the manifestation and restoration of humanity to God. Now, we see in Scripture that the Holy Spirit produces good fruit, and we'll see that later on in Galatians, when the root is healthy. And we see the churches in Galatia turn to a different gospel and a different root. Now, if we go to the text in verses 6 to 10, we get a glimpse of what the gospel is. And we see that Galatians have turned away from the true gospel. In, verses, in these verses, five verses, Paul conveys to his readers of the letter, he says, I'm astonished that you are deserting the grace of Christ. You see, this is deliberately addressing the core issue of the churches in this region. They're being told that apart from following Christ, you must adhere to the Torah, the law. You see, grace means gift. It's something given to those that they cannot provide themselves. Imagine, imagine you have rich friends and they're having a party and they, all their friends are bringing expensive bottles of wine to the party. Now, you can't afford to bring any wine or anything to this party that matches the standards of everyone else, only something cheap. But imagine your friends recognize this and they give you the gift to bring so that you don't miss out and they don't ask for anything in return because they simply realize that what is required for you to attend you cannot provide and there's no conditions attached grace is unconditional where the law the torah is conditional grace says that you are free because god has given what you cannot provide the law says you must do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, the entire alphabet and more. One provides freedom and one provides a prison. If a parent says to a child, I will only love you if you get straight A's, mow the lawn and do other chores, the child may obey, but ultimately will not love the parents who are so open openly manipulating them. You see, God through grace would, would say, if you do not get straight A's and do not do your chores 
and you will still receive not only my love, but even all the rewards that come with it. Now, you see the different effects on a person? You'd be drawn more closer to the one who doesn't openly reject you because you're not measuring up to the standards. What you'd automatically be motivated to do is realise that I can't meet my parents' standards, but they love me no matter when I fail. And therefore, I want to try even harder to impress my parents and do things out of love, not just because it's required. Now, Paul in his letter is demonstrating where the Galatians are going wrong because they imprison themselves with the law and God, as God breaks us free from the law. The law, although good as it is, was given by God, it can be used to imprison us, although that was never the intention that God had when he gave it. And we can reduce ourselves to good and moral behaviour and hope that that's enough. Grace gives assurance and real hope because the pressure is not on you to achieve holiness through your works, but your works will be a sign of freedom that grace gives to people. Now, Paul is making a point that there is no other gospel. And like I said earlier, anything else is an allusion to the gospel. He's telling the Galatians, you're confused. And if he, Paul, or even an angel from heaven, preaches another gospel, then they are, origin they are, dis they are deceiving you and you're condemned. Paul knows his letter would not be popular, but he addresses this. He says, I'm not here to meet man's standards or please man alone. He recognises that one can be an outcast for the gospel, even amongst believers. And he does not wish to please people at the cost of compromising the message of the cross. If his heart was set on people pleasing alone, he does not see himself then as an authentic follower of Christ. Now in the next large portion of scripture, Paul continues to argue that the gospel he preaches is the authentic gospel. And he gives a brief autobiography. Now in verses 11, as Paul uh, is telling the Galatians that the one and true gospel he has is not from him. The reason for this is that Paul knows that the gospel is not man-made and that it comes from God himself. Paul goes on to tell them that he received the gospel directly from Jesus. Why would he need to make this distinction? As we see from verse 13, Paul, Paul talks about his life in Judaism and that he was zealous, enthusiastic, and this was unmatched by any of his peers. He sought to be the most religious. However, when Jesus revealed himself to Paul, his whole life turned upside down. You see, amongst the group of people that Paul is addressing who are turning to the religious aspect of faith, he's showing them, I've done this. I've been there. I was even more into it than you were and anyone of my own age. But the gospel of Jesus Christ showed me that no matter how enthusiastic or religious I was, this was not the answer to true life. Paul, through his story, is warning us that following 
religious rules not only leads you astray from the true gospel, but it can fester behavior that, in fact, no way shows the holiness of God. Look at what Paul did in his life. Zealous, religious, and that led to killing people because they disagreed with him, leading them to be killed. And he found true freedom in the gospel and not through religion. He recognizes that the power of the gospel changes lives and it changed his perspective. God is the one who changes the heart and heart. No Christians of his time could have changed his mind because they were wrong and he wanted them wiped out. God, by his grace, actually changed Paul. After Paul received the gospel, he didn't automatically go to the apostles. He says it and he makes it it's important for him to mention this because if he's talking about the true and authentic gospel and where it came from, he's not saying I received it from the guys who were with Jesus. I got it from Jesus directly. And what I gave you when I was there was from Jesus directly. If anything, when he visited the apostles, it confirmed what he believed and received was actually true. Because they recognized it, the ones who were with Jesus, that what he was telling people was the truth. Now he's emphasizing to the Galatians that he indeed preaches the truth. Therefore, he is showing how far they are actually moving away from the truth. And then Paul tells them in verses 21 to 24, he visited other regions who knew of his zeal and were even afraid of him. And even they saw a changed man when, they, when he visited him. Paul is very methodically showing what the gospel is. He's showing that what he gave them was true. And he warns them. And he pleads with them not to, not to go from that. And we've covered a bit today. but And there's a lot to digest in this portion of scripture. But I want us to remember just how important the one true gospel is. Because anything outside of it is wrong. And the good news is, is that God has done for us what we cannot do. He knows our weakness, the heart and the root of our weakness. And he's provided an answer for that. And he's prov- what he's provided was not a prison. He provided ultimate freedom. Now, a basic insight from Martin Luther is that religion is a default of the human heart. You see, your computer runs on a default unless you set it to do something different. Luther says that even after you're converted by the gospel, your heart will go back to operating on religious principles unless you deliberately and repeatedly set it on gospel mode. This is then the basic cause of our spiritual failures. Conflict, lack of joy. Sometimes as Christians, we think that when we get intellectually understand the gospel, that's it. We learn that in the beginning and then we leave it at that. It's kind of like a ticket to a theme park. You get in and 
you use your ticket to get in and experience all the fun stuff that the park has to offer, and you put the ticket back in your pocket. And really, you throw out the ticket at the end. The gospel is so much more than just entry into the park. Think of it as a car key, that you need to get into a car to access all the good things a car has to offer. But the key not only gets you into the car, it starts the car. And it cannot move without the key. There's no point in me just going into my car and sitting there. It defeats its purpose. The gospel is the key to the Christian life. We need to set our hearts and minds always to the gospel. And the gospel is the key to making the Christian life all that it is meant to be. Now, the key of life is available to all of us. That is the good news. God is saying, take it. May the Lord bless his word. I'll invite the band as I just finish off with a prayer. Father in heaven, we stand before you, Lord, as unholy people who require cleanliness that only you can provide. We thank you so much, Lord, that you provide us with what we cannot provide. We thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you know that we can't achieve what you want us to achieve and you give us the answers. I pray, Lord God, that as we leave here, all who have heard your word leave with the true gospel in their hearts, that they leave knowing that what they believe was accomplished through the cross is the truth and that we unwaver from that, Lord. We thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. And I pray, Lord God, that we never forget that. In your precious name I pray. Amen.